hour two of Canuck Central, brought to you by Andrew Sherrod Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. It's Satyar Shah with Bick Nazar in for Dan Riccio. If you missed the first hour, check it out on the podcast. We talked about what Philip Hironik's next contract could potentially look like for the Vancouver Canucks, and we dove into all things goaltending with Kevin Woodley. We are going to turn our sights to prospect talk with our good friend Shane Malloy from Hockey Prospects Radio and and Scout. And we'll bring him on in just a second, Bick. And, you know, you look at Vancouver at the draft this year. We were very excited a couple of weeks ago about the team having potentially two first-round picks and, you know, a high second-round pick. And we mentioned the Heronic contract potential. Well, they spent a lot of that draft capital on acquiring him. So mm-hmm. some of the prospect talk, has, has some of the wind has kind of gone out of the, the sails to some degree, I'd say, on the prospect talk to some degree. A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. But you know what? We can bring it back with a storm. Oh, we will. And that's why we'll turn our sights to our good friend uh, Shane Malloy from Hockey Prospects. Uh, he's joining us now on uh, Canuck Central. And uh, Shane, uh, thanks for joining us today, man. And, you know, you and I have had some text discussions about, you know, Vancouver having two first-round picks and then they made the Philip Aronick deal. And we'll talk about the prospects in this year's draft coming up in a bit. But what was your reaction to seeing Vancouver make that deal and now having uh, the young righty defenseman in the fold? Well, nothing against the player because I think the player is very good. It was just sort of, I guess it was perplexing because I wasn't exactly sure what direction the organization is going in strategically. It's sort of half in, half out. If I think if, I guess from my perspective, I understand the Vancouver market pretty well. Obviously, I, you know, I lived there and sat in the press box for 16 years. I, I think one of the factors, I, at the end, if they had traded JT Miller, say at the this deadline or last deadline or in the summer and you know then they traded Horvat and it was just part of that a quick retool to really you know covet and go after the players that are in that 23 you know 22 to 25 year old range then I would get it but keeping Miller at that age at that contract it just it didn't fit it just didn't fit and I so I think that's why you know there is some confusion amongst not only the fan base, but of course the media as well. Um, from that standpoint, so it's almost like you know being a little bit half pregnant in their motives of what they're trying to do. Which is, you know, having conversations around the league. That was the one constant theme that sort of came up: is we're not exactly sure what Vancouver is doing. While we're keeping an eye on Vancouver, uh, I know you would have recently had a chance to check out Aiden McDonough. A lot of conversation about him as he goes into uh, the beginnings of his pro career and he's going to have the option to kind of play it out as he wants to obviously we focus on the contract side of it but from the prospect side as he grows as a player uh what have you noticed from Aiden McDonough here recently well look he's a big body uh who certainly can you know he can make some plays around the net he has a pretty good shot um you know the only concern and he has some he has hockey sense and he does play in a style that's more up-tempo although it doesn't really fit his style you know, in terms, I mean, of course, you know, the concern always is, is skating. And you don't have to be the most fleet of foot to be an effective skater in the NHL level. Like, look at Tyler Toffoli or, you know, Mark Stone. They're not the fastest skaters, but they understand how to skate the game effectively, how to find scenes, how to skate at a certain tempo to be able to be effective. Use the give and go all the time. you got to create time and space for yourself. And so that's the concern what I have with when I see Aiden McDonough's 
game, and I just saw him recently over the weekend in Boston when he's playing for Northeastern and against UMass Lowell. And it just when I watch him play, I guess the, I guess the best way for me to describe it, so Canuck fans and, and listeners would understand, think of Adam Gaudet, same kind of skater, not exactly the same, but I'm just trying to paint a little bit of a picture. And you know, Adam's always had some challenges in terms of creating time and space for himself or taking away time and space. So that's something that you know Aiden's going to have to work on. You know, whatever direction he decides to go in, whether he signs with Vancouver or he goes off as a free agent. Um, but it's certainly going to be, you know, an ongoing issue that he's going to have to find someone else outside the organization and inside the organization to help him with that. Because if he can just get to be average skater and skate like DeFoley, I think you have an effective third-line player. Well, and I mean, even if you get uh, somebody who can play uh, on your third line, that's obviously for an organization that needs prospects. It, it's a major win. And if you're kind of looking at, you know, these NCAA free agents that are out there, and you know, Vancouver's in on a number of them. Jake Livingston being one guy, obviously, uh, who is from these parts considered a defenseman who could step in. What do you make generally of the NCAA crop, and what realistic expectations should be, even if a team does acquire four or five of those guys? My expectations is that they're going to be a good American League player, if not too great American League player. And if you get one of these free agents to come in and play in your organization at the NHL level, anywhere from like 50 to 150 games, and if you get lucky, you get you find someone who plays more than 200, like you know the Troy Steckers of the world, um, you know Tanevs of the world. Yeah, that's a home run, but I wouldn't have your expectations that high. If they come in and they provide organizational depth at the American Hockey League, great. If by chance they turn into NHL players, I mean, that's just a home run for the organization, and you just take that boom and run with it. So you just have to be temper the expectations of what comes out of the college free agents. It's, you know, they're free agents for a reason. Not that they're not bad players, and they're always diamonds in the rough, but remember they're diamonds in the rough, and they just don't happen. That doesn't happen very often. No, I mean, and that I think is the reality. But it's kind of going back to the same discussion we had before. I mean, the Canucks need so much, and they still need to fill backfill even at the lower ends of it. That you take whatever you can get, and if one turns out to be something, that's just an added bonus. Uh, now, as far as the draft itself uh, coming up this year, you know, we were kind of joking about how the Canucks had you know potentially two first round picks, and we'll see ultimately what happens with the Islanders here, and if that pick gets deferred or not to next season now for the Red Wings, but. Now that they only have the one pick, not that it really changes your approach to it or not, because we'll see ultimately what that pick ends up being. But let's assume for a moment that the Canucks are not picking in, in the top five, top four. Like to you, outside of that top four, and let's say we put Mitch Gov there in terms of pure talent, like who are the next two guys you really look at and say, these are the difference makers that would be really would be good here in Vancouver? Well, I think you still have to, you have to look at players like Andrew Crystal out of Kelowna, um, Zach Benson from the Winnipeg Ice, the two CHL players. Then, you know, you, you start getting into, you know, Will Smith, Oliver Moore in the U.S. National Development Program. Uh, you would, you know, probably make some considerations for Brendan Yeager in that situation as well. I mean, ideally, they would like to have a center. Uh, they don't have any center depth in their prospect system. So, really, you're looking at Oliver Moore and Will Smith more closely, Brendan Yeager more closely. The, you know, if, if you're in that sort of five to ten range, 
that's what you're. I think that's what you'd be looking at. You would make some consideration for Dalbor Dvorsky as well. Um, you know, who is a slowback player, but playing in the Allsvenskan in, the, in, in Sweden. Those are the sort of the players that I think would be in that grouping. But cross your fingers that you can get into that top three. Um, you know, if you don't win Bedard sweepstakes, boy, Adam Fentilli is a great consolation prize. And I don't know if you guys had a chance to see him play this year in Michigan, mm-hmm. but not very often do you see a freshman dominate like that. No. I mean, utterly dominate in a lot of situations and he's so dialed in one of the things i really like about him and it's a quote that uh i learned from a coach uh dave king is that you know certain all players will have choices and decisions and you know you'll come around the ice with a puck and you'll look at your options and you'll make the right decision you'll make the right decision and get it to the right player and there's the choices guys are willing to take hits to make plays guys are willing to drive net guys who are intense and lead the team, and that's what Adam Fantilli is. And I, <laughs> there was a game last weekend where it was a pre-warm-up, and he's all dialed in and lasered in, and one of his teammates was in the middle, more towards the middle of the ice, flipping pucks, and he went over and barked at him to get his head in the game. Like, the kid's dialed in. So, for me, not that I've anointed Adam Fantilli second on my list, but he's certainly a guy that has a certain level of emotional and mental attributes that I find uh, and covet for an NHL player. So, you know, he would be a great fit in Vancouver. Ah, so would Leo Carlson. And boy, if you get a, like a, a goal scorer like Mitchkoff, that wouldn't hurt either. So Vancouver fans, you deserve to win a lottery. You need deserve to be in the top three considering <laughs> what's happened to this group of fans. Like they really yeah. do. Like them in Buffalo, like I'm sure Buffalo will probably end up making the playoffs. I mean, the run they're on, but, Boy, the Vancouver Canuck fans deserve like a bounce their way. Um, mm. They've earned it. Buffalo got a lottery. They got Rasmus Dahlin. They're they're fine. <laughs> they did. Uh, uh, yeah. I, I do want to ask about Carlson because it feels like we always do the Bedard and Ventilli and and oh by the way Leo Carlson as mm-hmm. well. And it's just a, a thing that's like it j- just accept he's good. And if you're drafting third, you don't get a choice in the deci- in, in in the whole play. Just on Carlson, like where is he at his most effective and just just being able to control play? Is it is it with the puck? Is it off the puck? Like where do you see the excitement level in in a Leo Carlson? What I like about Leo Carlson is that he's very well-rounded and he's a dual threat. Dual threat in terms of he has the ability to be just as an effective passer he is as a shooter, and he's a big body. And he understands how to use his body effectively in a power game. So, And he has the versatility to play wing and center. Like I'm not quite convinced whether he's a center or not, but look, it, it sort of reminds me of the situation when Dubois was a winger and, you know, Yarmo Kekalainen drafted him as a center. He's going to be a center. And, and there was uncertainty, and it's turned out to be an excellent center. That's where, you know, Leo Carlson is, you know, has that capability. And look, it's in, in some cases, depending on the person you talk to, it's a coin flip between Fantilli and, and Carlson from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. And if Carlson, they deem him a center, you know, he's far more valuable in that respect. So, and look, off-puck game, he's very diligent. And I thought considering he didn't have a lot of chemistry with his linemates at the World Juniors, uh, I thought he was arguably their best forward throughout the entire tournament. So lots to be excited about. And I'm sure Carlson would love to come to play the Vancouver because you get to be mentored by the Twins. And you get to play with Elias Patterson. So, I mean, that would be great, too. You have a nice Swedish one-two punch down the middle. Well, and, you know, the thing about him that's – 
is, I mean, honestly, something that's pretty common with a lot of these top prospects this year is there are a lot of smart hockey players right here in this year's draft. I mean, you mentioned Zach Benson before. He's, he's considered one of the smarter players in this draft. I mean, even Adam Fentilli with, with how he's able to scan the ice and see the ice and, and Leo Carlson to that regard. It, it seems like that, that hockey sense and that vision seems to be a, a plus attribute a number of prospects have in this draft. Well, certainly, any player that you look at in the first round of the draft is going to have a, like a high level of hockey sense and awareness. So that's going to be in spades. I think this draft is, you know, is a little bit light on defense at this mm-hmm. point, but we're still, you know, defense tend to hard charge after Christmas and throughout towards the playoffs. So you have you can't can't get caught in doing, you know, an analysis when you're still in data collection mode. I mean, that's one of the things why I really despise rankings during the season. I know why everybody has to do them because you got to feed the beast, yeah. but it doesn't really, you know, doesn't bode well in terms of putting the list together at, at the end of the year. And, you know, just recently, a couple of weeks ago, we did a review of the Cox prospects on hockey prospect radio and had some interesting, you know, we had an interesting conversation about what Karamaki and I'm curious to see how he continues to develop and, I would just like to see Vancouver not put pressure on him to come over to North America. I'd like him to see him stay in Europe for a couple more years and honestly not come over to the American League until he's 21. I mean, look, he's an elite shooter. He's a potential 30-goal scorer. Um, you know, he, uh, and I give him credit. He's willing to make good choices in terms of taking a hit to make a play, but I don't think he's a long-term possession driver. Um, I think he's more of a complementary player on the top two lines as a goal scorer. You know, the you know the question always is, if he doesn't score, what is he? You know, um, and he hasn't quite figured out. Sometimes he doesn't recognize time and space and when to change his speed and angles to create, to find those seams. Um, so that's something that I like to see him get better at. But, boy, if he hits, I mean, you know, in some situations, it's a little bit of that Besser situation where, you know, he's such, he has the ability to be such a good goal scorer that, you know, you really want to insulate him around a player who can go get all the pucks for him and then somebody who can pass him the puck because he's really that type of dangerous shooter. So, and we talked about Elias Pettersson, too, on defense. And I still think, you know, based on what I assessed him at the going into the draft and so far this year, I still think he's a third-pairing insulating defensive defenseman. He's lanky and rangy, which I really like, similar to what the St. Louis Blues D-men were like when they won the Stanley Cup. Covers a lot of distance well in the D zone. Can envelop small forwards. He's a good athlete, but not the greatest in terms of puck retrieval um, and, and you know making passes under pressure in the D zone and his exits, which will improve over time. If he just keeps his his game simple, it's good. But he's also you know he's got a nasty edge to him. Like he's really hard to play against. And I think you know the Canucks could use a guy like that. You know can kill some penalties and make life miserable in the in the defensive zone. Shane, you talked about uh, D-men charging up later on in the draft process. Here we are in March then, and we're getting to the end of the season. Uh, who are some names that you're kind of keeping an eye on on the blue line? And is among them uh, Dmitry Simashev, uh, the Russian D-men? Yes, he is one of them, um, along with another Russian in Mikhail uh, Gilyev. And then, of course, we're always watching uh, ex, uh, you know, Axel sending Pelika as well. Um, you know, and David uh, Reinbacher. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the he's a really he's another intriguing player as well um and generally in a draft you know you're going to get 10 defensemen in that first round you know sometimes 12 it's really like really good and we might get five maybe six uh but uh, don't sleep on lucas uh Drizovich out of like 
Price City Americans. Drags, the kid, like, that's an offensive defenseman to keep uh, an eye on. He'll probably go late in the draft. It's, that's why it's unfortunate, um, you know, in some cases, why Vancouver traded that pick away, because there was, there was some players in there that you definitely would have coveted. But I understand why they went for Hronik, and he's a very good defenseman, and he's going to make Quinn Hughes' life so much easier uh, this year, next, and beyond. So, I mean, they just needed to up, upgrade the defense badly. So I get why they, make the, they made the trade. You know, one kind of take that I'm developing here, if the Canucks don't land a top three pick, and let's say they have pick six or seven or even eight, is that if Mitch Cobb is there, I don't care that he might be three years away, I take him and I laugh all the way to the bank. 100%. Is, Right and 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 I see people 100%. mentioning and people mentioning stuff about Mitchkov like off ice stuff potentially like I, I don't know what's I mean I don't know enough about Mitchkov and, and what's going on all I know is when I watch him play Shane he's an incredible talent like he's going to be airlifted into your lineup in three years to score thirty goals. He's so dynamic, and those type of players are rare, and he can change the top two of your lines dramatically in that respect. So yeah, and honestly, I agree with you. I don't care if he spends three years in Russia because we have to remember he's 18. You know, most of the players, uh, even if you're drafting the top five, some of them are pushed in too early. Go happen to Coke Miami. Like this isn't new. Like this is like a long uh, track record of teams pushing players in too early and, you know, patience is needed. So honestly, in Vancouver's case, if they happen to, you know, draft Mishkov, it's it's actually a boon to them that he may not come over for three years. And then when he comes in, it I'm not gonna say it's gonna be like whatever what happened with Pavel Burry, but the kid's exciting and he can score goals and he's dynamic and he's hard to handle one on one. And this organization needs somebody who can electrify like the crowd and to like make people jump out of their seats because that kid could do it. He has that level of potential. He's like it's fun to watch. I'm always curious about which center, you know, is the one that jumps up the board too and, and maybe lands, you know, top five, top ten or whatever it is. And and this year's center crop is fantastic, obviously. But, you know, the, the, the pursuit of big bodies, that guys that can fill out too. And a guy I've been watching, he's a little bit later in the first round maybe, but someone like Nate Danielson, what are your thoughts on his game so far this season? Well, no, and I agree with you on that is trying to find somebody who can – you know, who is a bigger body mm-hmm. but has skill as well. And, you know, I really like Nate's overall game. I think once he fills out, he'll be probably, you know, 6'1", 210 pounds, maybe 6'2", if he gets a little bit. He's right-handed shot, which is fantastic mm-hmm. as well. And, you know, he's another guy who has a dual threat. Like, he can score as well as pass. Um, has that ability to be, like, that a two-way centerman who, you know, can play, you know, strong off the puck but has abilities – offensively in that standpoint. And he's a guy who's probably going to go somewhere in that, you know, in the 20 range. Um, so unless Vancouver finds a way to get themselves back in, mm-hmm. you know, he's not, you know, unless you want, you know, unless you really feel like he's the guy, then you take him in that seven range. But I think there's other players like Will Smith and Brandon Yeager and, you know, Dvorsky that and Oliver Moore that we've already talked about that are probably more suitable based mm-hmm. on their uh, offensive upside to put, you know, in that kind of slotting, but time will tell because there's still lots of games left and then there's U18s and, you know, there's time for these players to sort of round out their game as they, as the competition gets more tight. I love it when the players get into playoffs and into the, into these 
into these tournaments because it really helps to sort of solidify what you saw all year long and then put a little bow on it. Well, you know, you mentioned Dalibor Dvorsky, and he's really intriguing as well because he just seems so well-rounded. My only question about him and his ultimate upside is, does he do any one thing exceptionally well that he can repeat at the next level to make him, you know, more than, you know, a bottom six centerman potentially? Oh, no, I think he's a second-line center. I do, because I think he has the hockey sense. What I guess for him is that he's almost like... <laughs> He's almost like the jack of all trades, right. a Swiss army knife of a centerman, where he maybe not, other than hockey sense and work ethic, those are the two things that like are the two things that I think are the most, you know, excel, he excels at. But everything else he's very good at. So that there's no weaknesses in his game. Like he's going to be 6'1", 6'2", probably 215 pounds, so he's going to have size in the middle of the ice. And he's smart without the puck, off the puck. And you know, he almost like in some respects, you know, you're looking at that type of defense, uh, centerman to fit that second line hole, right? Yeah, it's always great to have another dynamic center if you can find one. Um, but depending on where they pick, that's, you know, there's, mm-hmm. we talk about the ceiling of a player and the floor of a player, and he's going to have a really high floor. You know, he may not have the first line center capabilities, but, you know, I think you, you can slot him into that second-line role. He'll play the third line for, you know, a few years and work his way up, and then, you know, I, I think he certainly has that capability. And I uh, wouldn't be shocked that he goes somewhere in that, you know, that 10 range, 10 to 15 range. Would not be surprised. Shane, in your conversations with scouts or, or people across the NHL, I'm curious because we spent so so much time here in twenty some odd minutes talking about centers and D-man, centers and D-man. Yeah, we mentioned Mitchkov and Benson. He could be a tweener type of guy. Are, are people excited about this class just because of the talent, or are they excited about the positional value this draft class brings? Because it feels like a lot of centers and a lot of D men already are being pushed up high in general. That's the draft trend, but it just feels like that's the the the, the scouting pool or the draft pool this year as well. Well, certainly because they're excited about centers. And centers are hard to find. Um, <laughs> so if you can get a center in your like a top three center on your team, like teams covet it. Now, there, I don't think there's going to be as many defensemen drafted in the first round, but there'll be a lot in the second. So mm-hmm. there's going to be some opportunity to maybe mine you know, number four D-men in that second round. Now, there is some very talented, skilled, but smaller wingers. You know, the Andrew Crystal, um, Edward Sulley, he's not too small, but, you know, he's not, he's not a big power forward kid, kid as well. So that's part of it. Like, the only real big, you know, power forward styles are maybe, uh, maybe Colby Barlow out of Owen Sound, um, from that standpoint. But you know what organizations are like and what coaches like? They want centers, as many as you possibly can get. And, you know, sometimes they end up converting to the wing. But then, you know, they have the versatility to play in the middle of the ice. So I wouldn't be shocked that the, in the first 20 picks, there's like, there might be, four, you know, 13 centers drafted. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Maybe more. Uh, Shane, great stuff as always, man, and our text inbox loves it, this text unsigned. I love Shane. Have him on more. The people demand it. We'll have you on even more as we get closer to the draft and we get through this season. And uh, keep up the great work, man. Uh, people love hearing your takes, and you can always check out Hockey Prospects Radio, which is also available on any of your favorite podcasters now. Yeah, it's also available on uh, YouTube as well. So if you want to see my smiling face or you know, have a face for radio, so then you might be scared off by that. Feel free to uh, subscribe and, and listen. Appreciate hey, it. Uh, 
Yeah, fantastic stuff as always, Shane. Thanks, man. Take care. Uh, that is Shane Malloy. And, you know, the prospect talk I can never have enough of in general because it's just fun to talk about players coming into the league and what their overall potential can be in traits. They don't have a an L on the record, so it's all no, just, it's, it's all hope and promise. It and is. Glorious. But it's just so fraught with peril because you're talking about 17, 18-year-olds. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's just, you know, it's just so, so complicated. And we have overrated, underrated coming up next. And, and there was a question by somebody who asked, should they age, should they yeah, overrate, underrated? That. And yeah. that's a good question. We, we, we'll, we'll, that's kind of a hot nudge, nudge, wink, wink to Josh Ellie Wolf. We'll get that question in for overrated, underrated uh, coming up next. But, uh, you know, just quickly, Dalbert Dvorsky, I'm fine, fine. I'm interesting, right? Because we talked about him before. My only question was, does he do anything at a real plus level? But like Shane mentioned, that work ethic and that hockey hockey sense is just so plus. And if you have those two things, and this is something Shane's a big proponent of, if you're smart and you work really hard, if you have a baseline of overall talent, you can go really far. And those are the players he's usually most um, like intrigued, intrigued by. Yeah. And you know, I find that to be an interesting type of player. I wouldn't be surprised if he finds himself inside the top ten. Long way to go till June. Oh, yeah, I know. Pumped up, though. Yeah, three and a half more months to talk about the draft. All right. Uh, we'll get to overrated, underrated next on Canuck Central.